Chapter 7 of The Princess and the Plowman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. L. Zelke. The Princess and the Plowman by Florence Morse Kingsley. Chapter 7 The two girls crossed the lawn in haste their fresh white frocks brushing the turf with a crisp flutter. "'Where is the man?' inquired Miss Vivian of her silent companion. "'I should think, reproachfully, you might have suggested that he sent a cart, at the least. I shall ruin my shoes, and so will you, honey.' "'He won't mind that,' murmured Mary abstractly. Her gray eyes appeared to radiate a mysterious light." Her usually pale face was suffused with delicate color. "'Of course not,' agreed Miss Vivian, with a rueful little laugh. "'He'll be thinking of other things.' She stopped short. Overwhelmed by a sudden realizing sense of what her friend was about to do. "'Oh, Mary,' she entreated, "'do wait a minute till we've had a chance to think. I just know we ought to go back.' and tell daddy or, or someone please honey mary walked steadily on she did not appear to have heard miss vivian's tardy protest oh if you're determined murmured felice on the verge of hysterical tears i can't help it or for that matter daddy or anyone else it will just have to go on but i wash my hands of it aren't you listening mary Apparently, Mary was not, for she vouchsafed no reply, and Miss Vivian observed that she quickened her pace. "'Remember, you're not doing this for me. I won't allow it, Mary.' Felice gathered up her dainty skirts and ran hastily after the slim, white vision, which seemed to have been mysteriously translated into another world." wherein the sights and sounds of earth were not apparent. "'Pick up your gown, honey, do,' she urged. "'If you will marry the farmer person, in spite of everything—' "'Oh, Mary, isn't that he?' "'Yes, it is.' Miss Vivian's anxious eyes had lighted upon a tall, athletic figure, clad unpretentiously in brown tweeds, which awaited their approach at the edge of the meadow. "'Really, he doesn't look so very queer and impossible, after all,' she whispered. "'Why, honey,' with an air of strong relief, "'he's actually good-looking.' She drew back, with becoming bride-maidenly subserviency, to watch the fateful meeting between the two, and was rewarded by the look in the farmer person's blue eyes as they fell upon Mary.' "'He was afraid she wouldn't come,' commented Miss Vivian. "'I understand everything now,' murmured the sagacious observer later, as the two walked away side by side, without so much as a fleeting glance in her direction. "'They have fallen crazily in love with each other. But Mary, poor dear, doesn't even suspect it.' "'I was beginning to think you had changed your mind,' he was saying to the tall, silent girl at his side. "'No,' 
she said in a low, tremulous voice. I did not even think of changing my mind, but I am afraid. Of me? he asked gently, bending his head to look searchingly into her face. No, not of you. Of yourself, then, he persisted. Would you prefer to postpone this, or call it off altogether? It can be done now, you know. Mary looked up at him with the clear eyes of a canted child. Oh, she murmured, I am afraid it isn't fair to you. If you were going to be sorry, please say so before it is too late. His eyes held hers for a long minute of silence. We will go on, he said. They had reached the cornfield now, and Mary glanced wonderingly at the pathway of evergreen twigs which covered the brown earth with a thick, soft carpet. This aisle of fragrant greenery led straight through the field to where a group of giant pines, strangely spared through generations of woodcutters, cast a circle of cool shadow in the midst of the brilliant expanse of shimmering young corn. All about the stony margin of this remnant of the virgin forest, wild roses had sprung up and flourished exceedingly. These were pink, with the eager bloom of the New England midsummer, and above them swarms of butterflies, yellow and white, hovered and settled amorously in the brooding heat of the July noon. Afar off, in the distant fields, meadowlarks were calling to one another with wild sweetness. "'I think I ought to tell you that I have never been to a wedding before,' said Mary in a small, weak voice. "'Nor I,' he confessed with a reassuring smile. "'But this will be a very simple affair, and soon over.' It was cool and dark within the solemn aisles of the pine grove. "'Like a church,' Mary thought confusedly. The wind shook spicy gusts of fragrance from the great boughs overhead, and from ranks of lilies uprising like burning lamps of white and gold, on either side of the sylvan altar, behind which waited a spare, black-garbed, authoritative figure. There followed a sonorous murmur of prayer and benediction, then questions, simple and few, after the manner of the dissenting Puritans of the North Country. Hugh, do you take this woman to be your wedded wife? Do you promise to love her, to cherish her, and, forsaking all others, to keep her till by death you are parted? And the man answered, I do, his voice solemn, yet full of a wondering joy. The mild, spectacled gaze of the minister turned upon the girl. Mary, do you take this man? to be your wedded husband. Do you promise to love him, to cherish him, and, forsaking all others, to keep him till by death you are parted? Hugh Ghent felt the frightened start and flutter of the hand that rested in his clasp. I... she faltered breathlessly and was silent. The words of the service flowed smoothly on, the officiating clergyman being benignantly accustomed to timid and voiceless brides. The ring was slipped into its appointed place on the bride's white hand, 
the final prayers and benedictions were said, and they too were made one, according to laws define and man-made. Then presently Mary found herself listening to stereotyped words of congratulation uttered by the smiling clergyman. Pray permit me to tender you both my most hearty felicitations on this auspicious occasion. You have certainly chosen a most beautiful spot in which to exchange your marriage vows with your husband, Mrs. Ghent. We should ever remember that the woods were God's first temple. Reared before the hand of man uh, constructed the first house of worship, made with visible means, so to speak, may i ask madam if you contemplate residing permanently in this section of the country if so i shall hope to number you among my congregation i do not expect to stay here after to-day began mary in a tremulous but determined voice and i think i am sure i ought to tell you that i never went to a wedding before and i didn't understand that i "'Be quiet, honey, for heaven's sakes,' murmured Felice Vivian, clasping her friend with oracular foresight. "'It won't do any good to explain now, and it'll make a heap of trouble.' "'But, Felice, did you hear what he asked me to promise?' demurred the bride. "'I couldn't let him suppose that I—I know, Mary. But never mind now. It wouldn't be fair to him. Look, he is waiting to present some people to you.' just keep cool honey it's almost over these are my best and lifelong friends mary hugh ghent was saying in his deep pleasant voice they will be as faithfully yours if you will let them she turned to look into the faces of an elderly man and a middle-aged woman who were gazing at her gravely their eyes eloquent with unuttered questions Andrew McIllahenny was a small, stoop-shouldered old man, with a face which reminded Mary vaguely of a pictured prophet, framed as it was in a profusion of snowy hair and beard. There was an air of solemn authority about his thin, aquiline features and shrewd, deep-set eyes, quite in keeping with the character. "'This came as a great surprise to us, Mayim.' he was saying slowly, as you must know. I had thought to be acquainted with Master Hugh's wife from her youth up, but nevertheless I wish you joy, Mistress Ghent. Mary caught the inflection of mild rebuke in his words, and the color mounted in her soft cheeks. Oh, she faltered penitently, I am sorry. Father only means that we should like to have known you better, "'Before you came so near to us,' put in the woman, her rich contralto tones breaking upon the ear with a certain surprise. Married troubled eyes turned to her kind, plain face with the instinctive appeal of woman to woman. "'You don't understand, of course,' she said helplessly. "'But I—' She was interrupted in the midst of her halting speech by a masterful hand which drew her abruptly aside. "'We are all going to the house now, Pramilla,' he said to the woman. "'My wife will speak to you there. "'Take the others away, will you?' "'Then, somehow, they were alone in the pine woods. 
"'This is my day, Mary,' he said after a silence which to Mary seemed filled with a strangely loud beating of her heart. "'My one day. Will you do as I ask for just this once?' Mary gazed at him helplessly. "'I didn't understand what it was like to be married,' she murmured. "'I couldn't have done it if I had known. And you—you promised—' "'How could you?' "'I promised, yes.' His eyes were searching her exquisite troubled face. "'But you did not promise, Mary. There is no lie between us.' "'What do you mean?' she faltered. "'I—I I am afraid. I, I don't understand.' He did not answer, and after a little she went on, a piteous tremor in her voice. I must explain to that man, that clergyman, and the others. It isn't fair to you. Oh, what must you think of me for consenting to such a thing, for speaking to you at all of my troubles? Mary, he said gently, will you listen to me? You know we talked this over, this matter of the marriage. I mean, and all I said to you, was that it was a small service for a man to do for a woman. I meant that, Mary, and nothing has occurred to change it. Everything shall be just as we arranged it yesterday. But I want you to give me, out of your whole life, Mary, this one day. I want you to enter my home and eat one meal at my table and look at the sea and the hills out of my windows. Then you shall go away with your friend, and I will explain everything that needs explanation. Will you do this for me? She was still gazing at him with her large, clear eyes, so like the eyes of an innocent, candid child, he was reminded afresh. You want me, just for this one day, to be like your wife, is that what you mean? I should like you to be my guest today, he corrected her quietly. I shall ask nothing from you as my wife. Nothing. She looked down at her hand, upon which the narrow circlet of gold was shining. You told me to... to leave the ring with you, she said after a while. But I... I think I should like to keep it. He drew a hard breath. You ask me, Mary if you would be forced to wear the ring. And I told you I would keep it if you wished me to. It is yours to do with as you will. Then I shall keep it, she said meditatively. I can't see why I should care for it, but I do. You haven't told me yet whether you will be my guest today, he said at length, disturbing her reverie, which seemed centered curiously, on the circle of gold upon her hand. "'I have never worn a ring,' she murmured. "'I never cared for them. "'But this is different, somehow.' His grave smile recalled her to herself. "'I will go with you,' she said hurriedly. "'And, and I need not say anything to any of them?' "'I shall be glad if you will leave all explanations to me,' he told her patiently. "'Then I will do it,' she said with a sigh of relief. 
It would be very hard, I am sure. And very unnecessary, he assured her. Come, let us go. They will be waiting for us. End of chapter 7